love Christina Jarvis. Um, uh, how y'all doing? Good? Man, go Bears. I, uh, worship was so sweet today, huh? Man, I felt like I could just hang out there for a long time. And uh, I love seeing new people up on the worship stage. So for anyone who's up there new, leading, singing, playing keys, it's awesome. Uh, can I see the hands of anybody who's a mother in here? That counts. In the womb counts. There's more moms in here than that. Okay, one in the back, one here, one here. Preggers up here, you and he. Uh, man, I was reflecting today as I was getting ready for our time together about how much of the glory of God you can see in mothers. And um, I want to I talk a little bit about that today. Um, I think as a starting point, you know, it's naive to think that something that's as important as this topic doesn't also have kind of a hard side in our world. Um, you know, anytime God has made something and decreed it as incredibly important, then the, the broken version of that is also powerfully hard, right? And, and so in this broken world that we're in, you can't really have one without the other. You know, he's given humanity an incredible responsibility of stewarding this earth, and he's given us uh, a really lofty place to do so. But in so doing, that privilege and honor and responsibility, there's also a hard side of, like, us destroying our planet and not being so cool to one another. And, like, that's all—unfortunately, that's a part of the mix down here uh, since sin entered the world. And so as I speak about this, there's a couple of different lenses that I'd love to invite you to have. Um, one is, if this applies to your, your biological mother, man, think of the, the reflection of God that you see in that person. And let it do two things. One, let it tell you about the nature and the goodness of God. I think sometimes, you know, in this world, a lot of people have really great mothers who are like, beaming the glory of God in so many different ways, but it's never ascribed to God. It never makes that translation from the person, but ultimately that that person is created in the image of a creator, and that's why it exists in this person. And so let this be a worshipful moment for us as we get to know our creator as we talk through some of this stuff. I think number two, directly to the person, man, let uh, a spirit of gratefulness and thankfulness uh, overcome you in the areas where uh, you've get, gotten to experience that. Um, so those are the first two. Uh, the, 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 the second kind of category that I'd love us to have is, you know, God intended for the multiplication of humanity and his glory on the earth to happen primarily through the mechanism of family. If you think all the way back to Genesis— uh, he kind of blessed Adam and Eve, told them to be fruitful and to multiply. If that had gone well, think about how cool that would have been if, if no sin entered, ever entered the world. It would be like a generation and then another generation, and it's just like, it's a huge family where it's like never broken or divided. It's just like this massive family that populates the earth, and the glory of God spreads across the earth in response to their creator who they're in love with, and then in, in connection with with uh, the family of God. Um, he intended for the thing of inheritance, the mechanism of inheritance, where, like, I know something, I've paid a price for something in my life, 
and then I can pass that down to the people below me. This transition of the things that I've worked for not dying with me happens through the mechanism of family, biblically, but he's also given that for the people of God. He's also intended that for the people of God to do. So as we talk about this, I also want you to have a vision for what your own spiritual walk with the Lord should look like, because the pinnacle of your walk with the Lord should look a lot like parenthood. And since it's Mother's Day, I'm going to highlight the, you know, motherhood. If the mature version of a Christian doesn't look like a lot like a mother to you in a lot of ways, it's probably absent of, of some pretty key elements. Because we'll go through this and we'll talk about what maturity looks like in your spiritual walk, but man, we can get a lot of challenge and encouragement and um, definition and clarity by looking at mothers Mother's done, mothership done well, and saying like, whoa, that looks a lot like God, but actually that also looks like the pinnacle of maturity as a Christian in a lot of ways. So all that is going to be mixed up in a soup, and we'll see where it goes, but that's what I've been stewing on, so you're going to get to eat out of my cauldron. We'll go, we'll go with that. Yeah, just keep going. <laughs> cool. Off to a good start. Okay, so <laughs> the first thing is I was thinking about, like the first aspect of it, I was thinking about uh, primarily for me, obviously, my mother, and then also uh, my children's mother and my wonderful wife. Um, so I, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about like, what are the things that I've experienced through these very important women to me that speak to the glory of God? And the, the first thing that popped out to me was moms have a way of, or the, the moms in my life have a way of uh, always thinking about their children. Like, this is an insane thing that I didn't appreciate, I think, until I became a father. But I would be like, going around my day, and every once in a while, my kids would pop into my head, but mostly I was kind of consumed into the thing. You know, like, when I'm at work, I'm at work. When I'm, like, out doing some fun stuff, I'm out doing some fun stuff. And one day, I was talking to Suki, and she's like, she's like, you know, the kids, like, never really leave my mind. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, like, I don't even know what that means. Like, it's so left field for me that I'm like, I don't, I really, like, don't even have a category for that. I don't even know what that means. And um, I was thinking about two things. Uh, if some of, some of you all in this house know my mom, and for the people that know my mom, I bet you've had this experience with her, where you haven't seen her in a while, and you go up to her, and you say, say, oh, like, hey, Madeline, like, how's it going? And she'd be like, oh my gosh, I was just praying for you the other day. It's wild. Like, and she, it's like, it's real. Like, she's, she is like always praying for people. And this is where it goes from not just me, like every, every time I call my mom, literally every time I call my mom, she goes, oh my gosh, so strange. I was just thinking about you. And I'm like, it's not actually that strange. Because now I see what happens with the moms in my life, uh, 
that their kids just kind of never leave their mind. And uh, I have this situation where my mom is kind of just like always thinking about me and always praying for me. And, uh, and I see it with Suki. And I see it even with people in this church who my mom has kind of almost adopted in their hearts, you know, in a spiritual way. And I'm sorry, in her heart. And I thought of a couple things. Um, one is Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, we just went through this last week, in verse 17, it says, How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. This is exactly what I was just talking about with Suki and my mom, where you never leave the thoughts of God. There's this direct connection between that thing that, that I'm articulating with uh, my, you know, experience of mothers and, and God's glory. Like, God's glory is just his nature revealed, right? Like, that's what we're talking about when we talk about the glory of God. And we see right here in Psalm 139 something that we totally see here with mothers. This one time I was talking to PB about what it means to be a great pastor— and he talked about this transition that you make when you receive somebody into your heart, is the way that he put it. And he's like, you know, like basically pastoring or spiritual leadership done poorly is it's a job and you show up and it's kind of a thing out there that you do. And he's like, but what real spiritual leadership looks like is that the people that are under your responsibility, you receive them into your heart. And then praying for those people just becomes a natural outcropping of, of the affection and the connection that you have with them. And as I thought about it, again, I'm going to tie this back to what it looks like for maturity in, Christian, in, in the Christian life, and I'll talk about what that path looks like. But this is one of those things where it's like, are there people in this world outside of your biological family that you've received into your heart and almost adopted from a spiritual sense that now sit with you and carry a place of affection with you and that you walk around and you carry with you and have kind of a Psalm 139 for. The, the, the second thing uh, that immediately came to mind is this sense with both my mom and Suki of nurture and safety. Um, in the Bible, the way it describes God in a number of different areas is a refuge a strong tower. And the imagery here is that you're outside and world, the world is crazy and it's swirling around you and it's like all of this stuff is just going on and then you run into your refuge and that person, the person of God, is your strong tower. It surrounds you on all sides. It shelters you from the top. It's a reprieve from the storm. And I feel like, again... Uh, my experience of the mothers in my world has been this, th this exact thing, both for myself and for my dad. Our, our, the way that we operated in our family was that we were always, my dad was always pushing me to do things that were beyond my comfort zone. And I find myself doing this with my girls too. Right? I, I remember when I was 10 years old, uh, I was standing at the top of this run called Shoot 75, uh, that's in Squaw Valley. It's the hardest run on the mountain. 
And when you stand on it from the top, you look down, there's like a cornice at the top, and then it goes down, and it's like bumps the size of Volkswagens, you know, which are like the moguls. And then there's literally rocks on both sides of the chute. And if you fall, you're going to go all the way to the bottom because it's so steep. Like, you're not going to stop, and it's pretty long. And so my dad took me up there when I was 10, and... And I got up there, <laughs> and I was, like, looking off this little cornice, you know, little guy. And I'm like, I can't do this. And he's like, no, you can totally do this. I'm like, no, really, I like, can't do this, you know. And he's like, no, 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 I, like, you can do this. Like, I believe in you. You can do this. Let's, let's do it. And so he's like, okay, let's just, like, j you know, just watch. And so he, like, takes a turn in, takes another turn, and then kind of stops. And he's like, you got this, you know. And by this time— he's kind of pot committed because he's now skied down into it. Like, he's not, he can't hike back up to, like, go down another way, and I'm too young to go down the mountain on my own. So there's no other way that we're going to do this thing. So I'm, like, trembling. I'm standing up there. I know, it's sad, isn't it? <laughs> I wish I had a picture up here because I had this, like, little red parka. And I try to make one turn, and I'm so terrified that I totally botched the turn. And boom. Like, it was like a yard sale. There was like a mitten over here. There was like a pole over here. My goggle was over there. A ski was back there. And I like slid all the way down, literally probably like two football fields down, and was like on the bottom and like, you know, just like laid out. And so I look back up as I'm crying, and my dad's literally skiing down, picking up a glove, <laughs> skiing down, picking up a ski, you know? Like <laughs> there is definitely an imagery of God in that, by the way. Not the, not the, like, you know, not the yard sale part of it, but, like, the, the, the pushing us out to do things that we can do, but we don't believe we can do. I could have done that. I just didn't, didn't pull it off, because I'm mentally not there. But... Um, but that was like the role of my dad. When I went home that day, my dad got a lashing from my mom. She's like, what are you doing, you know? And I think back of all these times where my dad was pushing me out, and in times where he pushed me out and I failed, there was a number of times where all I wanted to do, whether I was like sucking my thumb and crying, mommy, mommy, or doing that inside and then just run, you know, like, but there was this, there was this place of like embrace that, that I think, um, you know, some of us have experienced with our moms, but is available to us with God for sure as the refuge. He is the strong tower. He's the one that we can hide in. He's the one that, you know, when you get beat up by the world in any regard, you run into him, and there's a roof over your head. There's protection on all sides, and there's a place of nurture and comfort. I'm going to speak to the last one, and then I'm going to go into how this plugs into us in terms of our spiritual life as well, other than just revealing the glory of God. The third one, um, mom, moms, uh, you know, my, the, the, the moms certainly in my life, uh, they, there's kind of like a give everything for your children uh, aspect to motherhood. I mean, from, from the very start of the whole deal, like the baby is literally like, taking over from the inside out, you know, it's like, 
I, I remember a couple times when Suki was describing pregnancy. We'd be sitting on the couch or whatever, and she'd be like, ugh. And I'd be like, what just happened? She'd be like, I think there's a heel in my rib. You know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like what is going on there? But from the very beginning, there's like a carrying the baby and then there's like the, you know, immediately after that, there's a thing called breastfeeding that's kind of crazy that I didn't know a lot about until I went through this whole thing. And like the, the miracles of breastfeeding is like unbelievable, but the, the baby is literally, this is going to sound bad, right? So like, it's kind of a parasite. It's it, it like literally at that point. It's like it's living off of the sustenance of another being, which I believe biological people in the room, like that's the definition of a parasite, right? Thank you. Yes, I got a thumbs up from one of the people here. So, <laughs> so there's this sense of like, man, from the very beginning, there is this like, I give everything, including myself, for, for my child. And then you think about, of course, Jesus, who gave up his very body, to, to give life, which is exactly the same thing. Like, Jesus gave up his very body to give life uh, to, to other people. And it's, it's pretty amazing. And if we're talking specifically about mothers here, so I'm going to qu quote a stat that it just is what it is, and this is kind of like the intersection of our sin sinful world with the things that we're talking about. Um, in, in single parenthood, there's about 16% of single parents are fathers with their children. And then there's about five and a half-ish percent more, obviously the balance, are mother single parents. And of course there's more into that than just the statement that I'm about to make, but it seems to me that in that is there's this like ferociousness uh, for moms and their child. In fact, there's a scripture that talks about this very thing where it says rhetorically, I believe it's in the Psalms, like, is a mom going to, like, forget their child? And it's like, so in the same way, God never forgets his people. And so again, we see this imagery of, like, how mothers are with how God is to people. And it's like all the most— I mean, this is the thing that we got to stop and do. Like, this is Mother's Day, so I'm doing it this way. But the thing we need to realize is— all the most beautiful parts of humanity are the image of God. They're beautiful, and they're wonderful, and they're perfect, and we catch glimpses of what perfection looks like, and they're just glimpses, and every single one of those is a window into the glory of God. And all of the, like, other stuff is a win window into what life looks like when you're disconnected from his ways and his purposes and his perfection. And so that, that, like, that is like the most oversimplification of this world, but when we think about the glory of God and how we see that show up with, with moms, there's this beautiful part of, God, of, of God's nature that's just shown up and like give yourself to fully. It like looks like death in a lot of ways, like, when people say, like, man, I don't want to be a mother or father, I'm not surprised. Like, when you look from the outside, you're like, what? Why would you sign up for that? That looks crazy. Uh, but it really ends up as, as life and joy. So there's tons of others, like hospitality, like generosity with mo money, 
uh, there's like always believe in the best in, in me and my experience, like protectiveness, like a mother, mother bears rage. There's like so much about the glory of God that we could talk about. But what I wanted to do was I wanted to break down kind of like the stages of maturity also related to mothers and how they play their role, but also to kind of shine a light on what does development for the Christian look like? And then again, the final stage, we're going to double, triple click. Triple click, does that exist? Double click, that barely exists anymore. Anyway, <laughs> hyperlink click into the next level of detail around what the fullness of maturity looks like for a Christian and use kind of like what, uh, what the pinnacle or like what a model of motherhood could look like to challenge us in terms of what that can look like. Okay, so there are stages of maturity in life, and there are stages of maturity in our spiritual life. The first stage of maturity in both of those is this one of dependence. So you start out, and like I was saying before in the, in the story of the mother and breastfeeding, you're 100% dependent upon another person. You can't really do anything on your own, you, you can't uh, feed yourself. Uh, everything that you're kind of experiencing life relies upon the protection and the interpretation of another person. You can't really make sense of your world. There's this one of real dependence. And in this stage, what's interesting about it is you're free from responsibility. So the good part is that you're freed from responsibility. There's somebody else there, hopefully, that's able to take care of you and nurture you and raise you up. The, the nice part about that is that you're mentally and responsibility-wise free from those things. Um, the goal of this stage is that your identity would be solidified as one who's deeply loved while you're not doing anything. Like, the goal of this stage, and what, again, you know, great mothers do so well, is they, they invest in their children in a way that makes them feel like they're loved and cared for and adored in a way that's, like, stabilizes you and your identity is solidified. Most of the learning that happens in this stage is by observing. So you, you, you're kind of learning about your world, and you're kind of trying to figure things out, mostly by observing things— and, and basically, like, learning from the lessons that your parents teach you directly, where it's like, hey, did you see what just happened right there? That's because this, this, and this. Right? Like, Santa's not real. Sorry, did I just <laughs> come to church to learn truth? Right? Santa's not real. <laughs> Santa's not real. And here's what happens with the thing of, you know, like, everything is kind of, like, taught about the environment, you know, like, okay, yeah, let's watch some TV, but you can only watch 15 minutes of TV because we want your creativity to develop, and blah, you know, whatever it is. Like, your environment is nurtured, and it's, like, contained, and it's, it's brought forth by somebody else. Now, this should happen in your spiritual life, too. Like, the idea is at the first, like, when you first become a Christian, ideally, you'd have a spiritual parent that's walking this through with you, where it's like, okay, let me teach you about stuff. Okay, so here's 66 books of the Bible. Here's why you should believe that it's authoritative and that you can rely on it. Here are the biographies of Jesus. Here's kind of like general hermeneutical practice. Hey, when you do a, when you do a quiet time, be sure you invite the Lord in because if the Spirit of God isn't moving, you're like all of these lessons 
you're just like a sponge, and you're like, okay, tell me, teach me, like, give me by inheritance, like, let me learn from you. And so that's kind of like what early spiritual life can look like. Now, if you think about that, one of the traps uh, that could be there is that when you get to this next stage that we're talking about, you never really move on. And so Paul actually talked about this with the Corinthian church. He said, I couldn't address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. So he's talking about this path of maturity. The next stage on this thing is one of independence. So independence is where you move away from the place of dependence, and now you're responsible for you. So what, what Paul was talking about here is he's like, in the church, there's some people that are just hanging out in the place where they need a sermon and they need the worship team up here to happen in order to feel fed by God. Like, there's a bunch of Christians that have never made the leap to then feeling like they know how to receive from God and take care of themselves. So when they're spiritually dry, it's because their church sucks. Or when they're spiritually dry, it's because the worship team isn't singing my songs. Like, I, you know, they haven't sung my songs in like three weeks. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> in this stage, what's supposed to happen is you start to learn through doing. And you start to understand the principles of sowing and reaping. So the principles of sowing and reaping have everything to do with when I do something, then something happens back. It's cause and effect. It's, it's when I tend to be disciplined and pray all week, I end the week with joy. It's when I choose to binge on stuff that's not good for my soul, then I feel like I have a hangover at the end of the week. Right? But this is a part of our spiritual maturity as well. And what you're supposed to learn in this stage is that if you manage yourself well, and if you apply the right principles to your life, then things start to go well with you. And if you don't, then things start to not go well with you. And so in the, in the earthly sense of it, this is when you go to college. Right? Like you go into college, and for the first time you control your diet in a lot of cases— I'm going to overgeneralize here, but like, okay, you, you control your diet for the first time. It turns out that like, you know, there's a thing called the freshman 15, and like, turns out if you eat crap all the time, like, it's not really good for you. And you know, like, it turns out that you can stay up all night, and if you procrastinate in your studies, then you pull like all these all-nighters, and then you trash your body, and you don't feel that good the, the next day. Um, how many of y'all pulled all-nighters, multiple all-nighters in college? In a row. I'm so thankful that more hands didn't go up. Uh, you know, there, there's certainly a sense of like, you know, there's times where you just got to grit and get in there and like go for it. But I, I am proud to say I never pulled one all-nighter in my entire college career. Yeah? You either? Come on. Yeah, <laughs> yes! She's like, what are you talking about? I have to sleep at night. Exactly. In understanding that our decision-making then determines the outcomes of our life in partnership with God is supposed to be what happens here. That there's accountability for those decisions and that I'm responsible for me and that when something doesn't go the way that I want it to, I can no longer blame somebody else because I'm now in a place of independence. 
I'm established there. I have my sources of joy in the Lord. This is a, this is a huge transition in our maturation. And it's funny because I, I could go deep on this one and say like, oh, this is how it doesn't show up and all that stuff. But I think actually oftentimes what happens more often is we stop in this place rather than going two more steps in our maturity. And so again, my hope here is that I want to give you a vision for the path that we can walk on, not to say that it's not okay to be on any one of these stages, just like I wouldn't say to somebody who's young in age that they're supposed to be at the end of the line here, like, you know, operating as a mother or something like that. That would just be weird. But we also want to have a vision for where we're going and what these things, what these attributes look like. So in 1 John 2, there's something that says, As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit. This is a really interesting thing. Paul's, like, job in the church is to go around and teach people, and here he is saying, like, hey, you're in a place where you don't have a need to be taught anymore. That's pretty awesome. Like, wouldn't it feel great to be in a place in your spiritual life where you're like, no, 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 like, all the revelation that I need, I have access to through the Holy Spirit. Pretty cool. All right, the next one I'm going to kind of rush through is interdependence. So interdependence is you're mutually dependent upon another person because you choose to be, not because you have to be. So this, this in, the, in the natural is marriage, but it doesn't have to be marriage. It can look like a great friendship as well. And what you do is you say, I don't need you because I'm independent, but I choose to need you because I want to out of love. Now, what clearly happens when people get married and there's still not the independence thing that has established and rooted itself is that you get into relational connection, and because you're not independent in your own right, then you're trying to suck life out of the other person, right? Like, I now need you for my joy and my happiness, whether this is friendships or whether this is marriage, not I choose you because it's a delight to do life together. And so there's an aspect of, again, maturity in, Christ in the Christian life, maturity as individuals, which looks like, man, I can have incredible friendships where I'm not disappointed in my friends, I'm not trying to pull life out of them, I can let them be me, let them be them, and love them in that place, even though there's brokenness and imperfection, and even though they're not the perfect friend to me, because when that happens, I can fall back on my independence, and I can get from God what I need to get from God. And so in this place of interdependence, you're capable of doing life on your own, but you choose out of a place of love to be dependent on another person. I had a, we, Suki and I, early in our relationship, we had, we were, she was leaving for a trip. I've told this story before, but she's leaving for a trip. We were standing in, uh, in, a, in our ministry house, and one of my housemates, she turns to Suki, and she says, hey, how are you doing? You know, like, because Ryan's leaving on a trip. And she goes, well, I'm really sad. You know, like, it's going to suck to have him gone for two weeks. I think I was going on a mission trip, so it might have been longer. And, and she's like, she's like, yeah, 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 yeah. But you're a strong, independent woman. And there was something in that where I was just like, 
that didn't feel that right. Like, I'm not sure why, but like that statement in this context didn't feel exactly right. And if you unpack what was going on there, it's true that Suki is a strong, independent woman. But what that doesn't mean is that she shouldn't make her own heart vulnerable in a relationship where she's chosen to be influenced by another person. It's actually, it's, it's a misapplication of something that's probably true, you know? It's like, yes, I am a strong, independent woman, but that doesn't mean that I shouldn't feel lost when this person that I've chosen to do life with is leaving. And this is the place of great strength as a Christian. So oftentimes people think that if somebody else can hurt them, that that's not a place of strength. No, 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 no. Like, done right when you step in and you open yourself up to be influenced by another person, getting hurt is actually the sign that you've done something very right. If we're doing relationship right with other people in a way where it's interdependent, where, hey, I could do life without you, but because you're a best friend of mine, I'm going to choose to be connected to you in a way where what you do matters to me now. I'm giving you voluntarily the power to bless me and to hurt me. Like, this is what it looks like to grow up in Christ. And the reason why you can do this is because, one, in the place of dependence at the beginning— your identity was established that you're loved not by what you do. That's number one. And then in the second—in in dependence. And then in independence, you've come to a place where you know how to get a source of life. So if you get hurt, you know how to get healed. If you receive lack from your spouse in the area of intimacy, you know the place of ultimate intimacy. When you extend love and it's not reciprocated, you back up, hurt. You go into your strong tower, and you go, okay, God— like, I need you to be a mother to me right now. Like, the, the, one of the names of the Holy Spirit is comforter, right? Like, I need to back up into you, and I need to know how to receive comfort. And because of my ability to do that, I can step out and be hurt and risk being hurt because I know how to back up and, and live in you. And so this is what the interdependent life looks like. And again, the, the pinnacle is marriage where everything is in common and sharing but it happens in great friendships as well. And I would actually challenge us that I don't think we've scratched the surface in terms of what kingdom friendships are supposed to look like in this area. And so I just want to, like, stop for a second here. And by the way, guilty as charged. I'm still totally learning how to do friendships in a kingdom way. But when I read, like, the story of Jonathan and David and the connection that they have, like, I read it and go, that feels unhealthy. Right? It's like super celebrated in the Bible, but I'm like, I don't know, man. That like, that kind of is, that feels weird to me. And I think it's because I don't, I don't know, like I haven't done the interdependent thing in the context of friendship nearly to the degree that I believe we're supposed to live in in the kingdom. And the, one of the main reasons why I say that is twofold. Uh, one, I've talked to people that have gone farther than me in that area, and I'm always challenged and encouraged. Uh, one of those being John Boyles in terms of the way that, like, his vision for friendship, it's really challenging to me. So, like, testimonies of people who have done it, it's always, like, life-giving and encouraging to me. The second one is in the, in the Bible, uh, you know what we're supposed to refer to each other as? 
brothers and sisters. I don't know about you, but like my brother has the ability to impact my heart. My, my brother, if he was in financial need, like I would step in. Uh, and I would expect that if I was, he would step in, right? If, and, and, and so on and so on. But I think this connection that we're supposed to have in the body of Christ, and again, we're walking towards the pinnacle of maturity here, the interdependent side of things, like I think we should really challenge ourselves to think about how this shows up in our friendships especially and, and start to go like, okay, God, I'm going to start to push my comfort levels for what it looks like for me to do friendships incredibly well with trustworthy people. Nobody's perfectly trustworthy, right? Your spouse ain't perfectly trustworthy. Your best friend's not going to be perfectly trustworthy. But we extend trust again because we know how to back out and, and get the life that we need when it's broken. Okay. So in this stage, learning comes from friction and being connected to other people that ain't perfect. The married folks are chuckling. The people that are in friendships with imperfect people are probably chuckling too. But this is what happens is like once you commit, the crazy thing about marriage is that you've committed in a way where you can't get out. Like, you're in. So you got to figure it out, no matter what, right? And so you get into some gnarly fights with that person, one, because you know them better than anybody else, but also because it's like, there's no plan B. Like, you're in, you know? I remember this one time I was like venting to PB about Sunny. I mean, about, about Suki. <laughs> Not about Sunny. I was venting to PB about, about Suki, and he's like, he like <laughs> hears me out for a while, and he's like, okay, so like, what are you going to do? You know, like, you know, he's basically like, well, there, there's really only one path here, which is like humility and fighting for your marriage and, you know, choosing to eat dirt in love. Uh, there's like, there's one path here. And like, are you going to choose it or are you going to wait a while and then choose it later? Because there's like, you know, I mean, <laughs> it was like very simple on his end. He's like, okay, you know, like, you ready? Um, but because of that, there's this accelerated maturity that happens. You learn how to do things that you wouldn't do otherwise, and you learn humility, and you learn how to operate as a single unit, not as an individual. Right? And like, again, all of this is available outside of marriage. We just see it only oftentimes in marriage because we don't have the strength and the courage outside of the covenant to keep choosing in and keep choosing in and forgive 70 times 7 and keep choosing in. But this is the actual path to accelerated growth in Christ. Sometimes I feel like, in fact, there was a time in my life where God challenged me. I'm like, God, I want to grow up spiritually. I want more of you. I want to go deeper. And he challenged me in this exact area, which was like, these are all mechanisms towards the glory of God living inside of you, but you're resisting them as you choose out of these hard times with the people that are closest in your life. There are a lot of people who go church to church, and they go, like, experience a church, and it goes, oh, that one's not meeting my need, and, like, maybe commit for a while, and, oh, they failed me too, and then you go to another one, and it's like, oh, yeah, they failed me as well, and it's like, there's obviously a good time to leave a church, for sure, but 
our flippancy with what this is supposed to look like as the family of God and our flippancy with like what it means to be brothers and sisters with one another. And I'd also say like oftentimes our low vision of what the thing can look like, it leaves us in a state of immaturity. And so we don't realize it, but we're actually cutting off our running in maturity with God by, by choosing out of these moments. Okay. Three stages behind us, one to go. The last one is, so we've got dependence, we've got independence, we've got interdependence, and then we've got one with dependence. Dependence. <laughs> Not a C, a T. Like, you have dependence on you is the final stage. And so if you think about this and kind of like what this stage would be, the first one, you have no responsibility. The second one, when you're independent, you have responsibility over you. The third one, when you have interdependence, is you have responsibility over a spouse and some best friends and, and maybe you're like, church community, that kind of thing. The last one is you got some real responsibility. This one is if you don't show up, other people are negatively impacted big time. Like think about this as a parent. Like the first time that you have two kids and one of you gets sick, you realize something horrible has just happened. Because when you have one, then the other person can just take it and it's no big deal. But when you got two, and they're both small, and you get sick, then the other person's like, I can't even handle two. Like, I can't do two on my own, you know, at this age. And so you're like, but, but I'm sick. Like, of course I'm going to go sleep and lay in bed, right? And the other person's like, sorry, man, you got to rally, you know? <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. Like, now if you don't show up, people suffer. And if you think about this, in the first one, the freedom of no responsibility, right? Like, I don't even have responsibility over my choices. Like, I can choose whatever I want, and it's still my parents' responsibility to make my choices for me when they really matter, right? And then you go all the way to this one, where it's like the ultimate level of responsibility. It's like, man, you better show up, and you better have energy and love, and you better have some fruits of the Spirit— because if you don't, like, there's going to be some people around you that it's going to be tough for, right? I remember, so this is a fun story. I've, uh, again, I've told all my stories, so I don't need a prerequisite. But we were driving in Napa. This is right after we had McKenna. And she had just fallen asleep. She was a terrible car sleeper, so she was crying in the car the whole time. And it was, like, brutal. She finally falls asleep. And I'm, like, starving at this point. And so I turn to Suki. I'm like, I got to stop for some food. She's like, there's no way. She's like, absolutely not. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm starving. She's like, yeah, but you don't matter. You said it. You totally said it. Yes. She said it just like that. And it was like, you know, it's like, like, what do you mean? <laughs> she said it just like that. It's seared right here. What's that? It sounds like Suki. And, and it was like a great moment for me. 
it was actually like, talk about a demand for maturity, right? It was like, yes, but you need to understand that somebody matters more to you now. I'm sorry, somebody matters more than you now. It's rough, right? <laughs> and, and this was like, this was a moment. It was like, yeah, 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 that's the baby. You're the daddy, <laughs> right? <laughs> Baby's needs greater than daddy's needs, <laughs> right? And it was like selflessness, self-sacrifice, responsibility that you really can't drop. This is, this is no longer playtime. This is where you're choosing in in a way where when you're not able to show up in the way that you need to, it really matters. Learning comes from pushing yourself to meet the needs of other people and stretching yourself to rise up into a level of responsibility that you will certainly question at times. There's an awesome quote by this guy named William James. It says, Most people never run far enough on the first wind to find out that they've got a second. Give your dreams all you've got, and you'll be amazed at the energy that comes out of you. And what I would say in this is the, possibly the Christian version is, take your dreams and probably put somebody else's dreams and lives in there. And that's probably more accurate. Sign up in a way where you're carrying a level of responsibility, where the reason why you're growing in Christ and the reason why you're learning is because you back out and you go, God, I can't handle this. And then he goes, oh, yes, you can. Right? And he fills you with what you need in order to do it. And then you get to the other side, and you're like, holy smokes. Like, you were so faithful. Like, how did that happen? And then you get to another one, and it's like, no, 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 but God, this one's for real. You know, like, I don't know about this one. And, and then it's this cycle of ever-expanding growth into the sufficiency of Christ in your areas of weakness. Uh, a number of years ago, um, Living Water Church had Lauren Cunningham come as their speaker. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with Lauren Cunningham, he's probably the most fruitful missionary to ever walk the earth. Here we go. Ready? Accept Jesus. Yeah. It's a good caveat. But the guy has a cr like crazy ministry. I mean, he has sent out more missionaries worldwide uh, through Youth with a Mission than, again, probably anybody else on earth, not that it's a comparison, but the, it just like, he's preached in every country on the earth. That's cool, isn't it? Every country he's visited and preached there. Uh, and the, the impact and the fruitfulness of their ministry is insane. So we got a chance to have lunch with him. Uh, the pastor of Living Water invited us to have lunch with him. And there's all these people sitting around the table, probably like 12 people, and, you know, like, the, the early banter is going on, and we're talking to one another, and I'm just sitting there like, this guy is a legend in the Christian world. Like, I don't want to hear from any of y'all. I just want this dude to, what are, we, what are we doing? Why did we just waste 10 minutes? When you, ha when you have somebody like that in your midst, you'd be a— I believe you'd be a fool not to just be like, I want to suck everything out of you. I want to be the parasite right now, right? I want you to walk out like, you know. 
So after, you know, I got there, I started asking him questions. And we started talking about all this different stuff. If any of you ever heard the, the like, the five mountains teach, or the seven mountains teaching, uh, he and Bill Bright made that, like, got the revelation from God for that teaching. And so we talked about that for a while. And then there was other, this other moment where he was talking about how he launched mercy, mercy ships. So if anyone's familiar with mercy ships, that came through YWAM. It came through um, a dream that Bill Bright had. And basically what they do is they buy massive cruise ships and then they get doctors to volunteer and nurses to volunteer and they'll go to these places that don't have medical help and they'll just dock at the port and hordes of people from the, the country will come and they'll get healed, you know, they'll get prayer and healing and sometimes it's medical and sometimes it's spiritual on these boats. And it's like so inspiring and unbelievable and awesome. And to think, for me, I'm like, how does this happen? Like, how, what's the real nuts and bolts behind how something like this happens, right? And so he starts to tell me how, you know, like, this was a building up, of course, because these ships cost, I can't remember how much it is, but it's something ridiculous, like a billion dollars, right? And so I'm like, how do you get one of these ships, you know? And so he starts to tell me the story of how he had to have faith for hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in a way where he was, like, really exposed, like, it wasn't just play money, you know, where you just, like, fasted and it popped out of a briefcase or something like that. There's, like, he had to step out in a way, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, that is crazy, man. Like, you know, I feel good when I trust the Lord for a closed deal at the end of a quarter, you know, being in, uh, in, sale, in the sales world, right? It's like a full meter, you know, parking favor, like, a, you know? But he had, he had chosen into the stretching moments so many times that now he could believe for a billion-dollar cruise ship that that, that dream, it didn't, that doesn't feel weird. It's like God owns everything. Like, why would this feel weird? And this is like, I want us to, I want us to think about on Mother's Day— I want us to think about what it looks like for us to have a vision in our own mind of being one with dependence in your life, in this setting and in the world setting. Like, what, what does that look like for you, and where's the cap that you kind of mentally have as to what that could, could look like and feel like for you? Does it look like a billion-dollar mercy ship? And if not, like, how far does it back down? Because, like, you know, the vision that we have for our life is incredibly important. And what God intends for uh, to happen is that we're in relationship with one another. We're in church settings. We have different mechanisms like home group, like, like, um, like sermons, like coming to church, like worship team, like reading our Bibles. Like, all of these things are intended to be things that walk us down this dependency path or, you know, out of dependency path, I should say, to a place where we're capable of, of resting under a tremendous amount of responsibility. And for some people, this looks like intercession, right? Like, um, for some people, we'll never see them with 300,000 followers or, you know, whatever it is. 
and then we'll get to heaven and it'll be like, whoa, you carried serious responsibility in the spirit. Right? So it, it doesn't need to look like a big job or, you know, uh, being a pastor of a huge church. It, it, it doesn't need to be that. It's whatever God has given you to steward that is massively important and that it really matters if you don't step up into it. That's what we're talking about here. Because it's our glory to step up into responsibility. And what I mean by that is God intends, he doesn't need any of us, but he chooses us to operate in the ways that he operates. So the reason why this whole thing matters so much is because we don't want to limit, well, one, it matters for the world because there's real ramifications, but we also want to step into all that he intends for humanity to be. And what that is, is for you to really, really carry stuff that matters just like him. Like, hopefully, our kids grow up looking at the way that Suki and I parent and go, man, I want to do that. And I know that's not the experience for all of us in terms of the way we grew up, like looking at our parents. Sometimes like, why would I choose, choose into that? It seemed like my parents were miserable. Right? Like that happens. But hopefully what would happen in the body of Christ is that we'd see examples of people where we go, man, look at the level of responsibility that person's carrying, and look at how like joyful and happy they are, and look at how much God's using them, and man, like what does this mean for my life? Like I want to do that. Like why can't I do that? I want to follow that. Like I want to be a parent in the spirit. I want to be with someone with dependence on me. Why? Because that's my heavenly Father. And so again, this, this funny thing happens in this area where um, people that look at l- people's lives who have kids, and if you're in the, if you're in the natural, you're going to look at it and go like, why would I want to do that? Wouldn't I rather spend my money on me? Wouldn't I rather like travel the world? Wouldn't I rather not have all of this stuff? And like, it feels brutal. And there's a little bit of that in terms of entering into this in the body of Christ. Like, sometimes it needs to be a calling where you're like, God, that seems stupid. Why would I do that? Like, God called Suki and I to take the ark back over right after we had our second child. It was like, this is probably like the worst time that you could give us 120 people to care for. Why would—that's so crazy. But like— that's how God works oftentimes. Because minus the, you know, disaster that happened down that ski slope, oftentimes God is a lot like that, where he's standing up there and he's like, no, you can do this. And so I think there's like, there's two areas that I really, actually three areas that I really want us to think about as we close up. The first one is if any of the stuff that I talked about related to mothers resonated with you, even if it's just one of ten, like, thank and honor your mom when you leave this place. 
I saw this like ridiculous uh, billboard kind of, <laughs> uh, it, it turned into a meme, but it was, um, Your mom pees a little bit every time she coughs. Buy her flowers. <laughs> all, of the, all of the moms in the room are like, oh my gosh, it's so true and so terrible. For everybody else who doesn't understand what's going on here, uh, after you have a baby, there's like relaxin that like, you know, and when you have a baby, it stretches, like allows you, your bones to be like moved and your muscles get really loose. And they kind of, like, for a lot of people, never fully come back into the full, like, strength of where they were. And so, <laughs> so, so you get it now. But if you ask mothers, that is just like, I feel like mothers are such unsung heroes. The other thing I was thinking about is, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount where it talks about, hey, when you give, don't go into the temple courts and throw your money in there and celebrate. Don't pray. Dude, my experience of, like, you know, mothers done well there's no fanfare around 99% of the stuff that happened behind the scenes. Suki's mom worked seven days a week, 12 hours a day when she was growing up as a single mom. It's just like, she wasn't looking for pats on the back. She was looking to take care of her family. And I feel like that stuff's happening all the time. And so if any of that stuff resonated with your mom, I guarantee you there was probably more behind it uh, than just the thing that you remember. So that's first. Number two, we need great moms and dads in the Spirit desperately in the church. We need people who are willing to endure and, and grow up and move past the, like the, 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 the dependent, past the independent. Past the independent is where it gets really interesting into the interdependence where it's like, no, 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 I'm choosing in and I'm choosing in strong. Like the relationships in my life, I'm not treating as like, uh, you know, optional and flippant. I'm like locked in and I'm going to do the heavy work and I'm going to allow Christ to refine me and turn me into a, uh, an even more capable uh, adult to really like do life with people. And then you get into even farther, which is now you've become somebody who's capable of being able to hold real responsibility. Man, we need that in the body of Christ. We need people that will turn away from the world's promises and say, you know what? The promise of life, in terms of the maturity of Christ, of what it can look like down here, I can now take care of people that can't take care of themselves. I can now, because of a place of strength, look into the, the communities around me, find the people that are hurting, and I can step in in those places and carry a tremendous amount of responsibility. We have people all over this church that are doing that every single day, whether it be in the classroom and choosing in to, to fight there or in the marketplace or in the nonprofit world or as mothers and fathers who choose to do that full-time. Like, all of these are great examples of people who are primarily living in a way where their choices reflect that other people are more important than their own happiness day to day. But it's prophetic. It's rare in the world, and honestly, sometimes it's rare in the church. And so again, I'm not trying to make anybody feel like, hey man, I just got like, you know, saved yesterday. I don't know what you're talking about. 
It's like hang out in dependent land. It's fine. But I also want to kind of break the notion that if you really want spiritual maturity, if you've been in a place where you're like asking God, God, I want to go farther with you, it doesn't always look like praying more. It doesn't always look like reading your Bible more. It doesn't always look like worshiping more. Like those things are good, but oftentimes what it looks like is choosing in in a way where you're, you're going to jump into the crucible. So that's the second one. We need, we need people that are committed to going all the way here in terms of place with one with dependence. I don't have a number three. <laughs> Thought I did. All right, let's stand and I'll pray. <laughs> All right. Anybody want to pray to close us? No? Christina's like, what are you doing? She's like, you're not supposed to do that. I could just call on Nancy, but she's, she always wants to pray. <laughs> All right, I'll pray. Lord, God, thank you first for Mother's Day. God, thank you for a day where we can stop. And God, for some of us, reflect with a lot of gratitude on how amazing uh, of a glimpse into your heart and your life and who you are you've given us through our mothers, Lord. And God, would you, would you give us an ability to communicate back to them today and, and every day in a way that really like communicates gratitude and thanks and love and honor? God, for the, <clears throat> for the people in here who, when we say mother, it doesn't conjure up those things, God. Lord, I pray, God, that they would have the experience of being able to back up into you as a strong tower. And God, that they would feel the, the power and the nurture and the comfort and the strength and the faithfulness and all of the attributes that we were talking about as somebody who's hugely capable of having dependence on them. God, would they experience the plethora of things, God, that come together in the pinnacle of things that you, you, that you intended for motherhood and fatherhood, God, would they experience those things in you in a way that enables them to then step out from that place in strength and be the things to other people, God, that they were never able to get for themselves. God, I pray that you would stomp the head of the devil and the work of the devil in what the intended, enemy intended for evil over those lives, God, that you would flip it around and God, that you would make those people exceptional mothers and fathers, God. God, we know that uh, the power of sin is great, and we know that the power of your redemption is greater. And so we invite that faithfulness, God, in, in those areas, Lord. And finally, Lord, we just pray a blessing over the body of Christ. God, I pray for strength and vision for people. God, that people would be captivated with the vision of being able to be somebody like Lauren Cunningham, uh, like, um, uh, gosh, 
who was it that prayed and fasted? Was it Anna? Who prayed and fasted for decades to pray in the way of Jesus, that nobody knew what she was doing uh, in, the, in the quietness of her own room, God, but she was praying in the way of the Messiah. And Lord, thank you, God, for that as a model, Lord. And we just ask, God, that you would make us people, God, who are capable of coming up under lots of responsibility and being faithful with it. And so on this Mother's Day, Lord, we give you glory for all of the ways that we've seen exceptional mothers do amazing things and how that reflects in your nature. And we thank you for all the mothers in this house. We ask that you'd bless them with joy and strength. God, I pray that they would feel encouraged and loved for every area of sacrifice that they've, they've committed. Lord, I thank you that being an exceptional mother is such a valiant thing, Lord, and that, God, you see every single one of those acts, God, and that you uh, are so blessed and, and honored by every, every ounce of self-sacrifice and love that, that is poured out. So we give you the glory and the honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all, we're done.